You're listening to the Those Movie Dudes podcast with your dudes, Spencer, Nate, and Jonathan. This week, we watch the Akira Kurosawa war film, Ron, Tim Burton's directorial debut, Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure, and finally, Lars von Trier's sci-fi depression film, Melancholia. So this is so yeah. Did you hear the topic about Sony and Netflix? No, it just happened in the news. No, you What's haven't happening? heard about this. Do they okay. have any more properties to give up? Didn't they give them all to Disney? So here's the deal. So going <laughs> forth, every Sony movie that's going to be released theatric uh, theatrically for like the, oh. I don't know three or four weeks. It's, no, it's going to come out in theaters three or four weeks and then after the theatrical run for every sony film it's gonna go right to netflix and it's gonna yes. live on netflix I'm down. so all the spider-man movies bad boys i guess the future uh, future movies oh this is like uh for for the everything going future, forward not just like morbius COVID. every sony film going forward yeah. it's gonna have a three to four week theatrical window and then goes right to netflix well we can we can just get right into it um this is the Those Movie Dudes podcast. It's a show where the three of us narrow down three critically acclaimed films that we've never seen before, voted and chosen on by you guys. But here's the deal. We had three movies that we just watched this past week, past two weeks. John, what was the poll that you put out for people to vote on? I have no... Oh, wait. I think I know what it was. Yeah, so it was uh, Galaxy Quest with Alan Rickman. Rest in peace. I'm um, going up against 1985's Pee Wee's Big Adventure from Tim Burton. So quite, quite the lineup there. Quite the battle for the ages. Pee Wee took it with his big red bicycle. So uh, that's what we watched for me. Yep. Yep. Okay. I want to gouge my eyes out. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. Was that too soon? That was that was very too soon. Yeah, I'm I'm drawing a blank again, and I'm like, oh, look on the Instagram. And we never know because we don't pay attention to our own fucking show. <laughs> well, no, I do, but like, I go into the poll thing to check, and it's the only one that's not there. So, um, well, of course, yeah. yeah but uh, no, just... I, I got you. I got you. It was um, Ace in the Hole and and Ron. Oh Obviously. yeah, Ace in the Hole Ace lost to uh, to a little bit of Ron, a little Kira Kurosawa flick. So was Ace in the Hole a golf film? No, it was about no, a no, coal no. miner who gets trapped and a news reporter who gets involved. Um, and then, yeah, and then my pick, obviously, was Melancholia. That was the winner, and that went up against Sling Blade. It's a film that I've tried to get voted on for this podcast, and it's never won. Uh, someday, you know, it'll pop up. I'll just I'll buy it and force you guys to watch it. Um, but we watched Melancholy instead, the Lars von Trier depression film. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah, I was <laughs> family drama. I was wondering. I I don't necessarily want to start with Melancholia because it's quite a melancholic film. I was wondering if you guys just want to let loose a little bit and start off with Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Please, let's Ooh, do it. Okay, let's let's hop on that bicycle, go across the country, and <laughs> ruin a movie <laughs> set. <laughs> you can't see me. I can't see you. The story of a guy. Warning, I'm here. And his bike. 
James Bond kind of stuff. Together for the first time in their first big movie. I meant to do that. All right. Well, Pee Wee's Big Adventure is a film. (sighs) See, can you keep interrupting me? Because I feel like it'll be just as annoying as watching the film itself. I know you are, but what am I? It's it's like an inception of a film. Fuck me. Um, (laughs) Pee Wee's Big Adventure, 1985. Tim Burton, the perfect director for this film. I can't really deny that. It's only an hour and a half long. It's PG, so it's I'd say it's pretty much for children. 7.0 on IMDb, 87% critical rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It's a very cartoonish, childish representation of Pee Wee Herman, who goes on a big adventure for the first time ever when his beloved shiny new bicycle is stolen by his nemesis, Francis, <laughs> a fellow man-child and neighborhood rich kid. It's fucking ridiculous. But yeah, so... <laughs> going like, into this movie plot. i'm sorry but that's the plot it's, his bike gets stolen and look at the poster he's just like, <laughs> like he's flying no my bike yeah. <laughs> okay, okay i'm logging off that's the end of the podcast literally yeah, i, I hate myself you, right now never joining back just don't do that <laughs> don't, again, as long as we scary. never watch Ooh. another one of these fucking Wee herman i'm sorry I hate to give my thoughts away too early, but uh, yeah, I had no expectations going in i've known about the film i've seen the poster and basically my first thought was I'm never watching that. I think initial thoughts, annoying, really kind of just an insufferable film for me to get through. Um, not my not my t- cup of tea, not my type of comedy, um, but clearly there is an audience for this. Um, and I can see Nate is so puzzled right now because I did hear through the grapevine that you may have enjoyed this movie. So I would like you guys to convince me that this is a good comedy film that's not just for children <laughs> it's just like <laughs> come on you you can't beat the opening sequence of the tour de france you just can't and i'm sitting there and i'm like oh this is how they're gonna start it and i see all these guys riding their bikes i'm like oh this is super intense and then i just hear ching ching and then he <laughs> <laughs> and then he wakes up in his freaking house that's just Pee-wee's Playhouse. And yeah, he's got the, the breakfast uh, rude Goldberg machine. Yeah. Oh my god. All over the ceiling. That reminded me of Family Guy when Peter does the whole thing and all it does is shoot him in the arm. And he's like, this oh, thing no. doesn't this... work at all. <laughs> so right there, <laughs> right, yeah. you just said it. You just nail on the head and we say it every podcast, Family Guy. This movie is like a live action Family Guy episode. <laughs> it's just like Kinda. the most ridiculous it's utter nonsense. things. It's utter nonsense. But even though it is utter nonsense, I think with Tim Burton behind the camera is the only person that could make this work because otherwise it would other directors would try and take it too seriously where Tim Burton's just like, no, he's Pee Wee Herman. He's literally a man child. So we're just going to other two directors we had this week trying to direct this film. Oh my god. Akira Kurosawa uh, presents Pee Wee oh Goes god. to Japan and it's like it would it would it would be <laughs> awesome. It probably yeah, would be insanely would be... fucked up. Especially because oh. Spencer was he basically brought up the idea to me because I, I probably got thirty minutes in and I was like Oh god, I don't know about this. 
and he was like, envision this as a horror film. And that changed my perspective a lot because if you look at this guy like an absolute psychopath because he treats people like honestly like shit because he and he's like so unaware of the fact that he's like, especially Dottie. (laughs) I feel so bad for her, dude. Oh, my God. The poor girl. Hey, Dottie, will you help me? I need I need I'm to a ask rebel. I need to ask you something. <laughs> yes, Pee-wee, will you help me find my bike? When he loses his bike and he's walking down the street and everybody's on a bike besides him. Like yeah. that, that was the, the moment that happening? I that was the first laugh and I'm like, okay, I think I get what's fucking happening here, but I still am not on board. You don't need to understand what's happening. I mean, it's just <laughs> He's trying I mean, to run his bike, and he's running like, into a bunch of different SNL skits along the way. Uh, I mean, he's got like that actual serial killer that he runs into. That like then he all of a sudden just dresses up like his wife and tries to get past the cop. I'm like, okay, and we weird. got Large yeah. Marge, which is like apparently a ghost. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, where did that come from? But I'm gonna roll with it. Like, yeah, I mean, the movie is just utter nonsense. And yeah, I mean, I put this on at like 10 p.m. at night. And I was just like, I, I know exactly what I'm going to expect going into Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And I was <laughs> curious to also see it was Tim Burton's directorial debut. I've seen so many Tim Burton films in the really? past you know, several years. I've seen a lot of his This films. is his oh, first movie. I feel like we've watched a lot of directorial oh, debuts his directorial lately. debut. Yes, this is his directorial debut. And um, Wow. How did Yeah, I mean, Jeez. for this film. being his first film, it looks great. I mean, it's shot very well. It looks like a big studio film. And I didn't realize that this was the first outing of Pee-wee Herman. He then went on to do all the TV shows like Pee-wee's Playhouse and introduced all of those crazy talking furniture that would be even more terrifying if this was in the film. (laughs) Because he has like a couch that talks and all that shit. Yeah, I mean, as a kid, I could imagine this terrifying the hell out of you. Like, I would probably be pretty freaked out, especially by Large Marge. But I mean, watching it like later in life, yeah, it definitely didn't need to, but it's just goofy and dumb and uh i enjoyed it but yeah i totally get that it's just it's definitely not for everybody <laughs> this might sound weird but i could see this being a guilty pleasure for movie a movie for me for down sure. the line where i'd just be sitting here someday just like you know what i just want to giggle like not necessarily laugh out loud but just kind of be like look at him do that uh, uh, there, i wonder there Nate, is this bigger undercover brother like for me, no. I that movie is beyond funny, and I don't think that that's the case for everybody who watches that movie because this movie was not funny to me, other than maybe one or two scenes. I I genuinely found it insufferable. His character, and this is full on his movie, a movie within a movie that I I just couldn't stand him. I really <laughs> couldn't. <laughs> one of my favorite moments in the movie that so actually made me laugh, I think, was when. Francis is swimming in his bathtub, which is basically a mini pool in his room. And yes. the doors <laughs> swing job. open and he's like, Francis, Francis goes underwater. He looks and then he sees the the suit feet coming into the kinda, water yeah. and he like yells. And I'm just like, oh, my God, they're trying to make him so terrifying. And then they just like wrestle. <laughs> and the dad comes in and is like, Pee Wee. And he's like, I'm sorry. Do we have to get the cops involved, though? Okay, we'll just shake hands and say you're sorry. Hands like, fuck, dude. My I could do that. scene of this film was when the pet store was on fire. And he had to save all the animals. And he went out of his way to save every animal. But they never forgot to have a reaction shot of him passing the snakes. <laughs> debating whether or not he was going to save them or not. 
like 17 times. It was so funny, though. Then he finally does it. He just screams as he runs out and just falls. <laughs> ah! And then he faints. I mean, yeah. That was hilarious. That was my, by far, the, that got me. That got me laughing. I was like, okay, this is this is funny i like them going on the movie sets that was kind of cool like he's there he's getting chased by the security and they're dra- riding through like the original godzilla and a bunch of other stuff that just happens and then they they look Tarzan, back at the dailies swings on the vine on, on the that vine. was awesome fucking sense. that was so <laughs> awesome and like you could tell it wasn't like of course it's not legitimate but like vines don't swing and then drop down again to swing. I was just like, <laughs> this is so cheesy, but like I low key really had a good time. I don't know why, just because I knew it was so, so silly and just completely different than what we're used to watching that it just kind of made it okay and made it. I don't know. I had, I had fun watching it. I can honestly say that. What would you give it, Nate? Because uh, <laughs> I'm I'm feeling like a four from you right now. At Ooh, least. John, you just hit the nail on the head. It is a four out of five just because it I, like I said, I had fun. And of course, it's stupid. But if you look at it as like a serious like, oh, I'm trying to learn something from this. You probably <laughs> probably not the movie for you. But if you just want to like. Like Spencer said, a live action Family Guy movie with a bunch of SNL skits in between. And kind of for children, yeah. It's kind of like fucking MacGruber, but with less of a plot. Yeah. When Pee-wee's like, that guy's chasing him, (laughs) and he like peers around the bus, and that big guy turns that corner, and he's like, ah! And then he runs, I was like, oh my fuck. They did a close-up shot of his stomach too i was like what the fuck exactly yeah but four (laughs) out of five for me wasn't what i was expecting but i still had a good time watching it it was exactly what i was expecting uh i didn't find it as insufferable as john did i didn't also love it as much as nate did but i'm gonna get it to fresh i'm gonna give it a three out of five just because it did make me chuckle a handful of times and i totally get the appeal behind peewee herman like he's for a very niche audience he's just ridiculous and goofy and stupid and it's like the either uh, franchise Ernest scared stupid or Ernest goes to like whatever it's Ernest one of those types of movies Ernest where doesn't go to the beach yeah <laughs> it's like one of those stupid type of things uh that got a call following but you know watching it for the first time at 25 you don't need to do it but uh yeah it's 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 very stupid so um you know what yes you do five. you need okay, to do maybe this. you do I did you, it. Yeah. Everyone should at least watch Pee Wee once in their life, and I guarantee at least one person out there it will be their great, their favorite movie ever. If you watch it with the perspective <laughs> of uh, Pee Wee Herman is a serial killer and he could kidnap you in your sleep and uh, lock you in a cage while he just prances around, it his makes room it a lot makes, more like, interesting. Crazy noises. I will say, yeah, it, it's the most terrifying film I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> so, but yeah, yeah, it's a horrifying concept, but. In the way that this film is supposed to be taken in, which is just a very sort of quirky, forced physical comedy type of movie, um, I just, I genuinely did find this movie pretty much insufferable. There were some scenes that I, I did chuckle at. I love the pet store scene. Um, <laughs> it made me enjoy his character a little bit. I do like how they just, everything gets taken way too far out of proportion, like the scene where they're going through the movie lot. That was really funny, but I think just for the most part, this movie, it's just, it's not my thing at all. Like, unfortunately, it's not. I do love Tim Burton movies, 
this is not one of them i'm gonna go one out of five i think oh. it's uh it was it was a rough four rough experience three, for me one <laughs> i like it that's, that's a fun <laughs> not a fan i'm so sorry i tried and it's my pick so man. fuck me i guess man <laughs> so on another note on a different note uh would you guys want to get a little a little melancholic japanese going oh sorry yeah, yeah. uh a little melancholic yeah, a little, uh, um, just get a little melancholy. Yeah. yeah, I've seen this poster for so many years of Christian Dunst. Like, I don't know, like laying in water while wearing a wedding dress and holding flowers, and I'm like, what the fuck is this movie? But I've yeah. seen it on lists. I've seen people being like, this is actually a really good movie. It's profound. It's deep. It's dark. Um, but it is Melancholia, the film directed by Lars von Trier. What are we excited about? Tomorrow night. That's right. I'm afraid of that stupid planet. And it is not going to hit us. You promise? Life is only on Earth. And not for long. I don't think you know that at all. Sometimes I hate you so much. He does some pretty fucked up movies, if I'm not going to lie. He uh, did The House That Jack Built, uh, Antichrist. <laughs> Nymphomaniac, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and did I one was film fucked. <laughs> called Dance in the Dark, which I still want to see, and another one that I want to Same. see called Breaking the, the Waves, Waves, I think is what it's called. Yep. But this was another one Emily of his Watson. kind of most popular film. Yeah, um, well, yeah, Melancholy was one of his more popular films, but it has to do with a, one of his like trilogies of depression. So Antichrist was the first one, Melancholy was the second one, and then the Nymphomaniac like, series is like the conclusion. But the film follows its two sisters find their already strained relationship challenged as a mysterious new planet threatens to collide with Earth. And this, I say similar kind of with Antichrist and Melancholia is because they both kind of had similar openings. I don't know if remember Antichrist opening. It's a very poetic black and white. Like, is that the Willem Dafoe scene. film? That's yeah, it's Willem, Willem Dafoe, Dafoe film. film. Right? It's all in black and white. And then Melancholia has a very similar opening as well with like the whole end of Earth. And it's like mm-hmm. all what's going on and crazy with like some famous musical piece as well so he does similar things going on with both of these movies i was just curious to check it out uh just because of his filmography and to see if uh, what all the hype was about it's got a stack cast but uh nate going into this what what was your initial thoughts with melancholia i was i was actually really excited for this because even though lars von trier he's he's a very dark director he's done some pretty crazy shit and he's also said some crazy stuff like he said he understood where hitler was coming from he sympathized with okay he said that for melancholia i saw that looking into this movie i'm like he got a lot of backlash for that obviously i mean as he should but yeah imagine he says that says that now Well, yeah, no, I mean, fucking like about 10 years ago with Christian Dunn sitting right next to him, and she's so uncomfortable. Like, that poor woman. Oh my God. But yeah, he's got some inner demons. But as far as going into this one, I saw the ending on a list somewhere, so I don't really want to talk about that part as much. So that kind of got spoiled for me early on, but it was very slow. But I sometimes like a movie that's slow because it gives you the time to understand the characters a little bit more. Um, And I thought he did a good job at separating the movie into the two parts from one sister's point of view to the other and kind of seeing how they're handling this essential 
doomsday possibility that's come up and like it starts off at a wedding and you expect weddings to be happy and a joyous occasion when all it is is just kind of dreadful and and I never understood why like I don't I think that's my one gripe with the movie is you don't really know why she's just she it's almost like she she's getting married but she doesn't really want to kind of thing and I that kind of threw me for a loop but then once you uh get Charlotte Gainsbourg's character and you just you see her with her son and her husband um how it affects her and her relationship with her sister it was just kind of kind of middle of the road just because I I didn't really feel like any of the characters had a major purpose but yeah no John your initial thoughts with Melancholia do you know anything about this going into it because you had seen some of his other films you know we forced you to I watch have, Antichrist yeah. you had seen Nymphomaniac and all that kind of shit so yeah Melancholia bitch what do you think well, uh, Nymphomaniac was back at the time where I was kind of, I, 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 that just went right over my head. It's yeah, just, it's, it's, it's all right. it sorry. means nothing to me at this point because I'm so used to you as a person. Um, I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. That's a compliment. I think, uh, Nymphomaniac, wait, it. Melancholia, 2011, <laughs> Kirsten Dunst. You don't see her in many things. So I think that was kind of the main draw. Just turn on the poster, just looking cool and shit. Um, and also the concept itself of. A planet colliding, which is actually something that is like theoretically possible, like that is like a real thing. But is this it? movie, like in terms mm-hmm. of like Planet X, that's a whole other podcast, a whole other thing. But I love the whole idea of like how this planet is hidden behind the sun, and all of a sudden, like scientists are like freaking out and stuff. And you don't get a lot of the whole scientific side; it's kind of hidden by the father, which I think is kind of cool because it has this very grounded element of him trying to keep his family like cool and not freaking out about this whole situation until one particular thing happens and then they're just like no holds barred freaking out i think with this movie i like that it it does stay grounded it's very kind of centered in this like mansion i guess and it's it's kind of on a golf course which is where the father lives he's like a rich dude with horses and shit the first half of the movie i did not really like very much like the first act the wedding it just seemed like there were a lot of subplots that didn't ultimately have much weight on the on the overall story like with the whole lawyer thing where she like has sex with some guy on a golf course randomly what was going on there oh you know okay. I mean? so, about that because oh. isn't he trying to get like a tagline for a photo that she made so her something? boss like, is there the on her wedding that? day her boss stellan skarsgård was there on her wedding day and had his nephew and basically was pressuring the nephew to get a tagline which is her job is to come up with taglines to get a tagline by the end of the night it's her wedding night and she's forced to work essentially being like get a tagline i don't know I, I don't know why she fucked him on the golf course other than she was just unhappy with her marriage i don't which also kind of came out of nowhere because the opening exactly. of them pulling up with the limousine was actually funny i'm like mm-hmm. i did not expect comedy from lars von trier i'm sorry yeah I just that was actually like kind of a sweet that was moment kind of, yeah it was like a genuine moment where they're all kind of laughing and trying to get around this tight turn in a limousine i'm like okay like this is interesting but yeah, no, I completely agree with the wedding being – that's the issue with movies that are split in two parts is that, like, I'm generally going to like one part more than the other. I didn't really like the wedding too, too much other than it was interesting seeing, like, watching her character be so miserable on supposedly the happiest day in her life. Part two was more interesting for to me. A hundred percent. Yeah, I think the- – it's an interesting dynamic to watch someone like, yeah, it's your wedding, but she is like insanely depressed. And I guess you could make the argument that like 
maybe it's related to her job and there's some stuff about her relationship that we don't realize that's causing her to be depressed or she's just been dealing it with with it for a long time because come to find out like when the doomsday seems to be more of a reality i love kind of the dynamic between the sisters as claire starts to freak out after being kind of the reserved one and then justine starts to just she's she's accepts it like it's almost like a a, a sense of solace that things could end for her mm-hmm. and i thought that that was yeah. like a a very smart way to kind of weave in the the, the grounded characters and then also this like crazy otherworldly event that could like cause doomsday for everybody so mm-hmm. it was it was very interesting and i could see why people think this movie is like really awesome because i yeah. i thought it was pretty cool aside from that first act i really just eh, it's very that's uh, me i remember uh when they were watching it and she just kind of looks up and goes oh what's that and they were like oh that's the uh north star of the was it the tauros constellation remember, or something but... like that and then i'm like oh that's kind of a cool way to introduce this this other planet like seeing it getting closer and not knowing why but then they kind of to me they kind of ruined it by just kind of coming out and saying it like they were doing a pretty good job at kind of keeping it ominous like we're not quite sure what's going on and then she comes out and says it and i was like they could have made it more intense by not really talking about it and just showing it then once they brought the planet to the surface it kind of was like oh it it made it less less scary to me which it probably wasn't meant to be it doesn't feel as um serious as like apocalyptic as it should be it's just kind of now oh how are these characters gonna handle it? it it didn't seem super apocalyptic because like you got to pick one where it didn't really seem like a crazy sci-fi end of the world film to me it was it was more focused on that relationship and then shit really does get real toward the last like 30 40 minutes of the movie where i love that they're using this like homemade instrument to kind of see how close the planet is a really smart tool to use and that that's like the sense of just dread that creeps into her when when she uses that tool and i I loved that whole realization that she has i thought that was pretty insane i'm def i'm definitely glad that the movie didn't go full like apocalyptic because i guess the one interpretation i mean i could kind of think of for this movie was like the first half it's all the it's literally just a wedding and it's just her not really being happy it's her is that kind of the the talk is out there that like there's other planet might be coming towards us, but like nothing's really like confirmed. I don't believe in that first half of the movie. And then once no. everything is, it's like, okay, yeah, this could collide with us. It's kind of transitions to like, what is life anymore? Like what really matters? Nothing really matters. We're all going to die. Right. And like, it has that very melancholy feel to the fucking movie <laughs> where you just feel Zing. that throughout. Cause it's like, it's impending doom. It's like they have nothing they can do about it. It's like, why are they even getting married? Like, it, it, it doesn't matter. Why does she even need to come up with a tagline? It doesn't matter because they're all going to fucking die because this planet's going to collide with them. It's just like, it's just a very depressing concept, but it's it's poetic. Did anyone else get get the feeling that Kirsten Dunst knew it was going to happen? Yes, because she does allude to other stuff, too. Where she just yeah. she has like a sixth sense sort of like and I think they allude to it in the first half of the film where you guys mentioned oh what's that star or something it's like subconsciously she already knew something was wrong and maybe that's what translated into the wedding where she's just depressed but unknowingly like she doesn't really know why yet yeah. or something like that where 
I think you could definitely make that argument that she's kind of just like, I don't know. I feel like people who are like genuinely depressed, they have this, this other sense where they can just feel something's wrong. And mm -hmm. that's, I think that she is just this representation of that where she's, she's sort of numb to reality and she's, she's the real picture. I guess she's a representation of depression and her sister's a representation of anxiety. And it's like how they both react to the news of the world is going to end. It's and a it's a yeah, movie. It's Damn, pretty, it, the way you mentioned it there, crazy. like, goddamn. Well, because I guess behind the scenes uh, about this movie is Lars von Trier was battling like crippling depression when making this movie. Like, I, I don't know. He just, this was a very cathar uh, cathartic process for him, I guess, making these trilogy depression movies. But this is by far the, the tamest Lars von Trier film that I have seen. Like, it's, it's, oh, still yeah. True. No, 100%. Disturbing in uh, the concept, but it's uh, by far like it's not as graphic as all the other ones it's more poetic than anything else um but enjoyment wise i definitely didn't really love watching this movie other than it was just kind of interesting to see where the story was gonna go and i thought about it a little bit but it hasn't really stuck with me too too much other than when we are finally all talking about it now it's i'll give it more credit than uh i think i was gonna give it but two hours and 15 minutes it it was a bit long i think the wedding scene was just let's get a move on and i don't know that's just what i thought and i thought that the opening montage of all like the foreshadowing photos that they did like you see kirsten dunce mm. with the the that picture of the electricity coming off of her fingers uh charlotte gainsburg running with her kid on the golf course at first i'm like okay i get it dude but like do you have to have these slow moving pictures going like you're already boring me and we're only two minutes <laughs> that was in. a weird way to um, start the film for sure but he does that a lot in, he the same he with does antichrist. that in antichrist but that had like it was one it was one scene but it was a whole sequence together so it all matched um i did enjoy this one because i think like John said earlier, thinking about an Earth, another planet colliding with us is genuinely terrifying because even though it's probably the smallest, like, decimal, the chances out there, are exactly insanely small because they always say that there's meteors that are gonna, like, slowly Rogue pass planets by are Earth. a thing, like planets that have been kicked out of their solar system by some gravitational force, and basically they just float through space. And they don't have any sort of like star or anything. They could hit us I at just, any time. I just heard that North America has like five super volcanoes, and if they explode, mm -hmm. like North America's fucking gone. And Yellowstone's like number one or two of like if, if Yellowstone goes, North America's done, fucked, and yeah. like half of the east. Yeah. <laughs> because there really like, a new ice age would would start. X hundred thousand something years like it happens and. I don't know. It's fucking nuts. I heard about that. I was like, that's, that's crazy. But anyways, yeah, I'll call you. I do, I do like the aspect of the planet coming. That is terrifying. I just, I guess it was just a personal preference. I didn't care for the fact that they went from kind of like, oh, it's there, but they don't really acknowledge it to them out of the blue, kind of switching the pace of the story and being like, instead of this depressing wedding, we're going to be terrified of this planet. It it just didn't connect as well for me, but that might have had to do with the two different parts. You're seeing it from the two different perspectives. But I lo I like Kirsten Dunst and Charlotte Gainsbourg a lot. Like, uh, Gainsbourg does a, a lot of uh, Lars von Trier movies. She's had to do a lot of sick and crazy things, but she's so good at it. Um, she just has that like stern toughness, 
that like she can't be broken kind of thing. And Kirsten Dunst, just this isn't something I've seen her in before. I usually think of Spider-Man and uh, the Virgin Suicides. That's usually all I think when I think of Kirsten Dunst. But it was just a little too slow throughout. The tension did build towards the end, especially with that little metal tool that they used to measure. That put things into perspective. But I'm going to give it a three and a half out of five. I still enjoyed it, but it just, like Spencer said, could have been a little shorter and a little better paced. I think with this movie, I think Lars von Trier does get carried away a little bit, especially with like the opening sequences. Pretty much the entire first act, you could have cut a few subplots out of there to make it just like a little more tame and desirable to watch. Like the um, mom who's a bitch. Oh my it was, God. Yeah. Like, was like why throwing her shit out of the, like why? I don't know. Just, just, just to create overall dread, I guess, and make you uncomfortable. Sure. For the most part, like I really did think this film was fascinating. I love the scientific elements of this, this planet colliding. Cause that, yeah. It could happen. That is a thing, and that's like a genuine concern that like any human should have, regardless of the chances. And I think it was cool how they did stay intimate with this character study, regardless of it being very depressing. That was done very well. Um, I think with Gainsbourg and Kirsten Dunst, like both of them are great. I yeah, I didn't hate the movie. I I actually quite enjoyed it, and I it did kind of sit with me for a while. A few days later, I watched this probably a week ago. And uh, it's the one that sat with me the most. So uh, I'm going to go four out of five. This is a pretty solid movie with definitely some flaws. Absolutely. All right. Uh, I'm not going to get it as high as uh, you guys, but I will say it is probably the Lars von Trier film that I would be most inclined to go back and revisit out of any of his other films. He's very self-indulgent. I think you hit it, you hit the nail on the head, uh, John, with like, he gets carried away sometimes yeah, and, yeah. with the pacing. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it is yeah. pretty insane, but he's doing it because it's like, I'm sorry, here I go again. It's cathartic for himself. Like he needs to, in order to like, and that's the thing with filmmaking though. Like he, uh, it feels exactly. it's an art form. Like, it of course like, it makes the sense. audience doesn't care about it. Then fuck them. I don't care. I'm going to make it the way I want to make it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this one was the one that I thought was very interesting. It has that interesting concept with the planet. Um, colliding with earth and that kind of stuff but i'm gonna get it to fresh i'm gonna give it three out of five same with peewee's big adventure there we go <laughs> yep. big adventure gets the same grade from me but it's uh it's a it's a good movie it's interesting it it, it is profound i would say it has some interesting concepts kind of like the fountain maybe if you've seen that film oh, i've not seen the fountain yeah it, it's it's on hulu and amazon prime so if melancholia you know if you want to feel melancholic go and watch it oh is it my turn now okay okay all right well uh we're going to uh, take a little stroll over to uh, medieval Japan, um, where we're talking about the 1985 Akira Kurosawa film called Ran, or Ran, for those of you who pronounce it differently. But this was one of Kurosawa's latest features towards the end of his life, arguably one of his greatest masterpieces. And uh says... With Ron, legendary director Akira Kurosawa reimagines Shakespeare's King Lear as a singular historical epic. Uh, majestic in scope, it's a film about a profound examination of the folly of war and the crumbling of one's family under the weight of betrayal, greed, and the insatiable thirst for power. If you don't know the story of King Lear, King Lear divided up his kingdom to both of his daughters, and then you kind of see the aftermath of greed and power and um, how it can affect a family. And I've only seen up 
until this one, three of Kurosawa's films. I've seen Seven Samurai, Rashomon, and Ikaru, I think is what it's called. But this one, it was nice because you get the Kurosawa style in color, and it's just got such a grand and epic scope to it that I was really excited about. But then it's also kind of a long one. It's almost two hours and 40 minutes. So it's a little bit of a trek for those that aren't used to this type of movie. But John, this isn't my normal like classics pick. Like it's 1985, but it's still a foreign movie from a world-renowned director. What What did you think going in? It's still 46 years old, so I, I'd say that it's 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 relatively old, but in terms 46? of the films you usually pick, 36? I think 36. No, this sounds 46 years... I'm stupid, never mind. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I can't do math. Uh, I didn't do very well in stats in college. Uh, but yeah, this is a movie that uh, I think on paper it does sound pretty cool, where it's it's it does end up being a, a pretty interesting uh, exploration on war and family and conflict and transformation of some characters. I think for the first like, 25, 30 minutes when they're kind of just sitting in a grassy field, just talking and talking and talking. I think it, like, I get what it's setting up. Like, it makes sense to me. Like, after watching the entire film, I get it. Um, It's actually one of the more tame elements of the movie. I was very bored by that part. But once it starts turning into kind of, like, the warfare and stuff and kind of just, like, the just the battle sequences and stuff, I, I was entertained. But I think there were a lot of subplots for me personally that there were some I actually found funny. With the guy who was like tried to go kill that person, and then he brings back the fox's head. That was mm-hmm. like that whole scene was hilarious to me. I actually laughed. I was like, "What? Like that? I did not expect that." So, scenes like that did happen throughout. It's not really a film for me, but there were absolutely a lot of things that I did connect with. It was kind of Game of Thrones esque at times for me personally. So, so I had only seen Rashomon going into this movie, and I really liked Rashomon. I, we have an episode on it. Um, I thought that the structure was interesting to me. Like just the, you hear a story from different perspectives, and you try to figure out who's telling the truth, who's lying, and it's it's just an interesting way to tell a story like that. Um, but I know Akira Kurosawa is like one of the most famous uh, international directors of our time. Like he's made so many films that I still need to see, uh, and I guess this was one of them. I heard that this was like they said, like a, the latest or one of his last films that he made, and was supposed to be like a, a masterpiece. So I was going into this with high expectations, although I knew it was a little long. So I, you know, I knew that going in. I put it on the projector over the past weekend. Ooh. Like it was like just when it got dark out around like 730. I put it on the projector, sat in my yoga bow. No wonder you thought it was so cinematic. It was like 130 inches on my wall. It was fucking <laughs> awesome. I had the sound bar plugged into it. I immersed myself for this movie because I just wanted to. I just felt like if I'm going to really watch this movie, I want to appreciate it in the best format I can. And I think that absolutely helped because when I see lists of epic war films, I don't know why this isn't like towards the top. I mm-hmm. thought this was so interesting. It was a very crazy character study on what people would do when they all of a sudden get all this power. And mm-hmm. it was just, I mean, kind of your typical story of like all that stuff. And we all watch Game of Thrones. Like we all kind of are interested in that kind of stuff. And there, I saw so many inspirations that I think Game of Thrones took from this movie, especially when it comes to the battle scenes. Like, that's real shit that they're doing. They are firing real arrows 
like inches away from the actors. Like there's real actors and stunt guys falling off horses and literally looking like they're almost about to get trampled. And so like the battle scenes were fucking insane and so fun to watch. And cinematography, this is probably one of the most gorgeous looking and framed films I have ever seen. I, I It just looked phenomenal like in terms of the framework it, it was awesome i would yeah i'd agree with on a lot of fronts of that i'd say even the storyline itself i mean it maybe maybe it didn't but, but i think it probably did because uh, i know george r. r martin got a lot of inspiration from just like either other films or real life events in history um but basically in this movie it's like it's a bunch of brothers fighting against each other which is literally what happens in the battle of the five kings or whatever with like the the different baratheons trying to be sure. king so yeah. like a hundred percent like that's it's shakespearean i mean that's yeah just like it's, it's very much a thing <laughs> in, in different movies and tv shows like and i'm sure it's in a lot of books as well because like of course everybody was struggling for power and wanted to seize it and would do it by any means necessary and this film is honestly a very good exploration of that concept and so. i think that's why i loved it so much because i was watching it this type of story that we've seen done in other types of formats before sure. but the, done in in this culture I thought it was fascinating. And by this acclaimed director, Kurosawa, and he was making this epic war film, uh, I thought he, he pulls it off very well. And I, I do think it is over long, for sure. I, I It's a little, it's far yeah. too long, but I was interested. Like, I even, even, I love the opening of them just sitting on the grass and kind of talking about, like, passing down my power. And the sun's kind of like, like, what the fuck, why? And I don't know, I just, it was interesting, the whole culture and, like how they went about it with the meeting so it was a it, it started off kind of slow but it like john said it was that build up to what was to eventually come and when you see the younger son go oh my god why are you doing this at first i'm thinking he's jealous of the brothers that's what i'm instantly thinking until you realize at the end he was worried about what was going to happen between them. And so it really makes you understand where he was coming from. Seeing one brother betray the other when they when they think that they're together, it's really heartbreaking in a way when something just comes out of nowhere and changes the entire perspective. And, and the dad, like when he's sitting in that balcony while his middle son and outsiders are attacking his oldest son and he's sitting up in that tower realizing that the decision he made is backfiring and then he just walks down those stairs that composition is so famous of the two sides and then you just see him walking down the stairs and just leave he he's lost faith and everything and you see him just breaking as the movie goes down going mad like going insane and apparently that that's pretty pretty much in the king lear story that he kind of goes mad just seeing how it plays out in those battle scenes very game of thrones like where you just see these two giant armies attack but it was also cool seeing how a, a smaller army can take on a giant army just by being smart one of my favorite characters of this movie, and it was a subplot that I personally fucking loved, and I, I don't remember the name. It was one of the, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sure you're the, gonna nail it. It was, it was, it was the wife of the older brother, yeah. but then the middle brother. Yeah, it was her she kingdom was awesome. that like had gotten taken over previously by the father, and he slaughtered her family and kept her, and she basically like 
regained fucking the power and was like, I'm going to do it and was driven to do that. I thought her story and her subplot was fascinating and her kind of coming to the brother and like, I know what you fucking did to my husband and like, I literally have all this over you and you're going to do what I want. <laughs> it was like, it was just mm-hmm. such a power move. And I was she like, was like the smartest so character intriguing. in the film. Yeah. She of all the, all the characters. Even at the beginning she, too. Cause yeah, like when he initially got power and she was sitting there, you haven't really met the character yet. I was wondering where the story was going to go with the relationship, uh, being with this new power. And she was like, okay, like, where's the armor? Oh, you gave your arm, the armor away. All right, you should maybe maybe behave like a king now. Gets up and walks away. I'm like, oh <laughs> shit! Like throwing shade at her husband. Like she was running the show, and that's why I thought she mm-hmm. was a very intriguing character. Yes, the char- that character, the, the woman had a cool storyline, but you definitely she's very despicable. Like you do not like this person, and I I literally like yelled out loud like fuck yes, dude, at like this her that scene toward the end of the movie with her, and it was just so satisfying because there's like Mm -hmm. this general who doesn't take shit from anybody he's like he listens to his own kind of conscience and reason and he was probably one of my favorite characters who just he's just like fuck you guys like this is ridiculous like all this shit going on especially with that with the woman it was like i i really appreciated that character because he he would even tell the like the guy who was fighting for the red army i don't know their names but he was always the one that was like dude chill like what are you doing that is a stupid war tactic like we just need to be smart about this so not only is the father kind of descent not he's not necessarily he is descending into madness but then he's also in a way kind of facing his own demons it's like his punishment and damnation for the stuff he did when he was in power sort of Mm -hmm. and then he has to watch his family crumble because of his decisions so yeah it's it's a very smart way to explore that i do think that like yes his descent into madness is like a very good transformation in terms of like a character and for acting but i did think it was just kind of off-putting a little bit at times like when it would go back to his storyline i was a little bit annoyed and i just i didn't enjoy it as much as the rest of the film like the war elements and all the other stuff going on so he overstayed his welcome a little bit I yeah think. I think yeah so. he definitely did I thought they're going to kill him in the middle of the film. So, in terms of my final thoughts, yeah, I think there's a lot of things to appreciate. I think you guys both bring up really good points. The battle sequence, the cinematography, I think overall the story, like it's very, very interesting. If you really you sit down, you pay attention. Like if you're into this type of lore, it's it is a very interesting film that's just shot absolutely beautifully. For me, it was over long. It took me a long a long time to really get into the overall film so for me it's not really something that resonated that much but i think there is a lot of great things to appreciate from a filmmaking standpoint so i'm gonna go uh three out of five i think it uh, it definitely was a good movie better than Wee's big adventure i will say absolutely in terms of <laughs> my perspective only with I those would... movie dudes podcasts you get a lars von trier film a Wee herman film and an akira kurosawa film so. yeah tell me another show that talks about all these movies exactly. in one fucking episode yeah i i definitely was in the right environment for this film watching it on a huge screen and being super comfortable i i just i got into it i was super intrigued by it and i just was so blown away by the cinematography of this film like there was one shot in particular I think it's maybe in the first 30 minutes or so, but it, they're all on a horseback uh, on top of a mountain. It's at the very top of the fucking frame. And then the whole mountain is just like the rest of the fucking frame. And it was just like, how do they get that shot? The raid of the whole uh, castle 
when they come and get mm-hmm. the uh, everybody. They kill everybody, and it's just fucking graphic. But just oh, uh, when they all go to the third yeah, I was castle, blown away. And they kinda, yeah, there was one scene where they showed somebody fall off a horse like fifteen shots in a row, like toward the end of that battle sure. sequence in the open field. I was like. No, there was one dude there was one <laughs> shot where the fucking guy falls off a horse and then a fucking horde of other uh, runs over him right over are him. fucking going right over yeah him. yeah exactly i was i was like that's happened. real exactly it, it, so it like, actually ran him over too i could tell oh sure yeah it, this they really did this shit they were shooting arrows like yeah like inches away from that's the actors insane. and the fire and everything and and yeah, just the the compositions are just amazing. Apparently, he storyboarded as paintings for like ten years going into this movie. So I mean, he obviously had some preparation going into it. Um, and I, I just really appreciated it and thought it was fascinating. I would love to buy this on the best format it gets released in. I don't know if it has a Criterion release or any type of release. It might have a it should, DVD release, maybe. But if it comes I'll, out, I'll wait for the, the proper one. But I'm exactly. definitely going to pick that up because. I'm very intrigued to check out more Kurosawa films. When it comes to Ron and Rashomon, I think I like Rashomon just a little bit more. But this one, I think, is very, very fascinating. Um, Overlong, but still very good. I'm going to give it a 4 out of 5. I would highly suggest Mm. checking it out on Amazon Prime. So I see where you guys are both coming from. Um, Going into this with a little bit of... Little, a few more Kurosawa films on my belt. This one is definitely uh, stands up to the name because just in epic scope and scale and the way that Kurosawa uses a lot of wide shots of just like them sitting in groups, sitting in the grass and whatnot. It just kind of establishes this real world that they're living in. Yeah, the brutality. I loved the the theatricality of the blood. And just it would be squirting out and it would be crimson red and just over the top, which as it should be, because this is a period of time that we will we only read about we'd never experience something like this. So you can only imagine what they were going through. I'll match Spencer's four out of five. I definitely had a good time. It was a little bit long, but I thought they used their time pretty effectively as far as fleshing out some characters and uh having some deeper meaning behind it and that's always nice when you uh you get a film like this and it's a kurosawa film so we are uh, get introducing john to a few more not necessarily mainstream people so that's exactly and i you know it took me a while to enjoy sauerkraut and it took me a while to enjoy kurosawa so i think that those are two completely different things that i don't know why i thought of a comparison but i really do like sandwiches Curse sauerkraut, yeah. You ever have a <laughs> Reuben with with a thousand dollar dressing and sauerkraut oh on rye bread? Reuben it is... is so good. Oh. I haven't had one of those in so long, but yeah. Oh. oh man, it is a phenomenal piece of food. It was Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure, <laughs> Melancholia, and Ron. Uh, quite the <laughs> crazy, uh, weird variety of films, and um, yeah, they're all on streaming sites. So you can check them out if you're uh, curious to. You know, watch them. They're they're interesting. Yeah, <laughs> ratings were all Gonna over the them place. Out. <laughs> <laughs> I know you are, but what am I? I know you are, but what am I? I know, I know you are, are but what am I? I know you are, but what am I? Yikes. Um. <laughs> 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 that in there you go. There's another TikTok right there. <laughs> uh, but anyways, this is usually the point where we announce our new picks. 
And then, you know, we put out a poll for the weekend, and then you guys vote on it, and then two weeks later, a new episode comes out. However, a little different... (laughs) <laughs> Come on! Now. I mean, kind of. I, mean, I didn't want to. You, you just don't have to be so blunt and transparent. Wow. But essentially, I'm sorry, Movie Thumb, but we are taking a money. bit of a break with the Those Movie Dudes podcast. Um, not not for the podcast feed. Essentially, there's still going to be Collector's Corner and Mainstream Boys, the two episodes every single week. Just a little bit of a break of watching these, uh, you know, three critically acclaimed films that we've seen uh, that we've never seen before. But don't say goodbye forever. Just, uh, just for now. Stay tuned for the, our, our Instagram at those movie dudes. Stay tuned. Oh, yeah. Give us a follow. Sad. No, we'll be fine. It, you know, you got to understand that. Uh, <laughs> you know, subscribe to us, and we'll make more more episodes. But for right now, what you will have though? mainstream boys. We got collectors corner, which I really enjoy. I think all of us really enjoy diving into our physical media collections. Collector's Corner, deep dive into our physical media collections, skydiving this week. Who knows which one will shove up my ass crack and we'll have to end up watching because it got stuck there. So, Well, this week it's Spencer's ass crack. It is Spencer's movie. The Raid 2. Okay, I, I saw. Yeah, we'll be watching The Raid 2, which is making me want to rewatch The Raid just because I was... Uh, I was in a different mindset when I watched that movie, so maybe get a little familiar with it again and then go into this one, because I've heard the practical mixed martial arts scenes are some of the best put on film, it's so fucking I'm excited. Insanity. In terms of um, compositions, it's fucking fun. Camera work. It's <laughs> cool. Yeah. I'm pumped. I was going to say, all right, and as of right now, uh, we did actually put it up in a poll for this week's episode. I don't know if this uh, this episode should be out, and it won't matter anymore. You can't vote. But right now, we did have mm-hmm. the father going against uh, the Melissa McCarthy and Octavia Spencer film Thunder Force on Netflix. So uh, I think the father's going to win, which is probably for the best. Um, so we're going to be talking about that on Mainstream Boys this week, me and Spencer. Uh, Nate, if you'd like to join us, there's probably some marital trouble or family drama going on there. It's definitely nominated for Best Editing in the Oscars. It's got so six Oscar nominations. Yeah, it's it's. I would say that's more in your warehouse than a Melissa McCarthy shit uh, spy <laughs> superhero, whatever the hell's going on there. Yeah, but Octavia Spencer has an Oscar, doesn't she? Yeah, she does. I love And so Octavia does Melissa Spencer. McCarthy. She has two Oscar nominations at the very least. But um, She yeah. is a very talented actress, but again, this yeah. is a paycheck. But, hey, Anthony uh, Hopkins is still a that. phenomenal actor. Mainstream Boys, every single Monday. That's not going anywhere. Same with Collector's Corner. Okay. Uh, That's it for Little Ducky. Uh, Thank you for listening to Those Movie Dudes podcast. We have so many episodes in our feed of so many movies that we've talked about. So go back, listen to a whole bunch of them. In the meantime, until we're back with with the, you know, stay tuned to our Instagram at Those Movie Dudes. That's all I'll say. Little Ducky out. Toodles. Get us to a thousand followers, guys. Follow us at those movie dudes on Instagram. Uh, give us a reason to wake up every single morning and just give us a follow. Leave us a review. Tell your friends. Uh, we do really enjoy doing this, but we want to do it for more people. So, yeah, thanks again for all those people who've supported us. Uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. And this is personally coming from me. I think you guys should go and check out some of our other posts because I'm not super savvy as far as far as technology, but John and Spencer have edited and cut together every single podcast that we've done. And that's many hours that they spent out of their time to do this. So I'm guilting you all to at least go like at least a couple more likes. Come on, they've deserved it. And if you don't, 
I will use my hacking ability to find out where you live. I am not kidding. I'm not kidding, movie thong. I'm not. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Those Movie Dudes podcast. The TMD main show is going to be put on hold indefinitely, but not to fear, everybody, because we do have Collector's Corner and Mainstream Boys coming to you guys on a weekly basis, so plenty of content for you. This will actually give us some extra time to perfect everything related to the podcast and hopefully come up with some new and better ways to interact with you guys. As of right now, make sure to follow us on Instagram at Those Movie Dudes to stay up to date with everything related to the podcast, and we'll see you next time.